Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Them, That, and This podcast. This is episode number 10. We finally crawled out of that one-digit desert, past the ones and the twos and the threes, and now, you know, now we're in the fucking double-digit city. You know, we're on episode 10. And as you can see, there's been a spike in our quality, because I told myself all those fucking months ago, back in December, that if I could make 10 episodes... I would buy equipment. I would invest money into this and take us out of that little lo-fi realm and enter the sphere of hi-fi podcast. And here we are at the sphere of hi-fi podcast, I guess. Anyway, today's election day in Israel. Election day, BB Gantz, political things. And I wanted to bring a guest over who would know something about this. He's, you know, charismatic, he's smart, he's spiritual. He's my friend Iran, who I've mentioned on previous episodes, always saying like, oh, we should get Iran on. Oh, he's an interesting guy. Iran, Iran, Iran. You know, he lives in the desert, though. He lives in a small desert town called Mitzpiramon, and it's hard for him to leave it, to get out of there. So I just never got him on the podcast. But today he was forced into Tel Aviv due to the elections, and he had, like, vote in this district. And he came over, and I pitched my idea about podcasting about the election because I, you know... I'm not so educated to talk about it myself because, you know, I'm still new to the country to a certain extent, but he's been here for like a long time. He's uh, originally from China, I guess you could say, because his parents are like ambassadors of Israel in China, and he was kind of raised there and going to private school. Then they brought him here at 14, joined the army. I eventually met him. Then he went to Australia. This clean-cut kid went to Australia for like 10 months or something. And he came back, and he was like a prophet. He had long hair. He had long, a long beard going down to, like, his fucking stomach. And he was wearing a blanket, you know, like a poncho. Like, he, he cut a hole in a blanket and just threw it over him. And it was, like, walking around Tel Aviv like that. And it was, it was pretty intense, you know. He changed. Something about this man changed completely, you know. He had that spiritual awakening. Like, I would like to say that I had a spiritual awakening, but, like, not on that level, you know, like I fall back into my old ways all the time. I've lived on a hippie commune, you know, I meditate from time to time and I try to embrace my spirituality, but like, I'm always fucking up. But this guy, he's like, you know, he's like, he lives it, you know, he escaped the city because he knows, he knows that this city life ain't good. You know, it's not good for the spirit or the soul. It's a lot of stress, a lot of yelling, blah, blah, blah. Today I was at the shook. You know, and this wasn't good for my soul. Actually, I didn't really care. But maybe it's bad that I don't care. I just saw like this cat jump on a bird, on a pigeon. It just like got it in its mouth and started swinging it around. And the pigeon was like, coo, 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 coo. And I was just like looking. I busted out my cell phone trying to take a picture. But man, that pigeon was gone. Like that cat just ran into an alleyway, pigeon in the mouth. 
and who knows what happened to that pigeon. Definitely not good. Definitely not a good time for that pigeon. I'd hate to be that pigeon on this day. That poor, poor fucking pigeon. Anyway. Anyway, guys. Prepare yourselves for the podcast. Prepare yourselves for Iran and his spiritual awakening. Bam, here we are. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. I don't know what this world is coming to. Iran. Hello, Air. Hello, Air. We're on you. So, how do you feel about being back in Tel Aviv after a long absence of not being here? At least I haven't seen you in a few months. Yeah, we haven't met for a while. I haven't been here for... This is weird, you know? Yeah. Because we're pretending to have a normal conversation, but we know this is all being recorded. It's all being recorded. So oh, I'm looking normal. at you it's with your cult eyes, you know? Like eyes of a cultist. So, how you been? How you I'm been? Good. I've been really good. Am I answering to Michael? Am I talking to whoever's listening to this? Is it both? Is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both. Hello, like listeners. My life has been pretty good recently. There's about 60 people with their ears perked right now. Oh, shit. <laughs> 60. <Nice. laughs> uh, Feed upon my every word, simpletons. <laughs> hey, that's no way to treat your listeners. Um, yeah, it's been pretty good, you know. Just pretend they're not there. That's what I do. Like, it's just a normal conversation. Try to keep it interesting. Stop playing with the fucking lighter. It's going on air. What? Come on. <laughs> anyway. Play with it. Anyway. How do you feel about being back here? You hated Tel Aviv last time. I didn't hate it. It just... I wasn't happy here. I love Tel Aviv. It's I've stress- always loved Tel Aviv. It just stressed me out, you know? It's a very stressful place. I'm stressed out all the time. I can't live here. I'm glad I don't... I can't live here right now. I'm glad I don't live here now. It doesn't work for me. The shop? But... I love being a tourist here. That's the thing. Yeah, it's nice. I love... Now that I don't live here... I come up here once every couple of months. And I just feel like... I can do whatever the fuck I want with no obligations, you know? Yeah. Because my life isn't here. So I can visit here without the obligatory stress and financial requirements. I spent shitloads of money these past few days because wow. I just I want something, I buy it. And it's for a moment. There's really nothing to spend on, I imagine. Exactly, which is incredible. Yeah. I, I can't. I mean, there's one pub. Mm-hmm. One pub. So when I want to go drink, I go to that one pub. There's two. There's the jazz one and there's the... The jazz one isn't the pub. They have alcohol, don't they? They have alcohol, but it's not a pub. You go there to listen to music. So you're talking about like the mini Sh- Cafe Shapira hippie place. That, the better. That's yeah. nice. I like yeah. that place. I like that place too. Yeah. But they charge Tel Aviv prices, which is irritating. Because the more, I, the more I look at it, I realize that Mitzpah Ramon is... In a way, a branch off of uh, Shapira Florentine. Like that specific cafe or the whole place? The whole young people scene yeah. there. I met five people from Inspelamon yesterday. Just mm-hmm. wandering around Tel Aviv. Because in our hearts, we all love Tel Aviv. It's just way too much for us. It's expensive. There's a lot of cars honking. There's bar- dogs barking right outside my window. Everyone's always in the middle of something. Or yeah. Or way somewhere. There's and no relaxing. Know, everyone in Tel Aviv is stressed and depressed. Yeah. But it seems like... I say everyone as though that's true. It's not true. No. The people at Cafe Shapira, they're like perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, they're, like, they're like living the Mitzvah Ramon life here. I don't know how they do it. 
Like, how do they? They don't like. How do they get money to live? You know, it's um, it's a double-edged sword in a way. Because in Spelmon, it's true. Things are way more. They're slower and they're chiller and it's more relaxed. Does it ever get boring as fuck? Yeah, of course. And it also gets lonely as fuck. And it also feels a bit sometimes like it's a show, you know? Yeah. Like, like because when we spell them on, everyone is pretending like, yeah, I moved to the desert and now I'm healthy and I'm balanced and everything's cool and even. Which, I mean... I do feel a lot more emotionally connected there, mm-hmm. but I do also feel many times that it's a bit of a show and that people still feel, still feel shit, but they feel less legitimacy to express it. You know? Yeah. It's a small world over there though. Like I remember yeah, we really went, is. we went to the market and we just bumped into you randomly. Mm-hmm. Like, of all places, how the fuck were you in the market? Because there's one supermarket there. Yeah, but like, it just and happened to happen. I love it. There's one supermarket, and there's one pub. Anywhere you go, if you walk for 10 minutes, you're in the desert. Yeah. And there's people like sitting in front of the fucking market, just chilling. Chilling out in the market. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's the place. And that's the energies I like to live my life with. Yeah. But when I live in Tel Aviv, I can't the erode really quickly. Did you ever? Did you always feel this way though? Like I, I feel like the big change for you, from an outsider's perspective, that you know I'm not you, so I can't tell you when your big change was. But for me, I felt it was when you came back from Australia. Yeah, I agree with that. Like you came, you looked like a prophet. Like you had your blanket on and you had a big old fucking beard and shit. Like it was like a, you left like this very clean cut kid and came back like a different man. I felt like. Yeah, I spent almost a year there, and I just, there's a lot of stuff, I felt that the, the first major change for me was leaving the army, mm-hmm. and, but the big major shift in recent years was definitely Australia, because suddenly I understood that, um, like what happened there? What the fuck happened in Australia that changed you? Here's the thing, I traveled around, I packed shitloads of stuff, and I had like two bags and all that. And mm-hmm. I traveled around, and I still remember, I traveled there with a friend from Israel. Yeah. And we planned to travel together for a bit, and after two weeks there, I decided that I want to split up. Was it Tomer you went with? No, 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 no. A friend from one uh, name, friend, not, uh, not one of my closest friends. Ah, uh, Peleg went with Tomer. Peleg went with to India. India. Yeah. yeah. Um... And we decided to split up. And then slowly, I just... He left the hostel and got on a bus and went to the airport. Yeah. And flew to the north of Australia. He was there on the tourist visa and he wanted to uh, see as much as he could before he goes back. Yeah. I was there on a year-long work visa. And you worked. And I worked as well. And I remember... I still remember the day we left the hostel and he went on the bus Mm -hmm. to the airport. And I just checked out and took my bags and went to the street and then thought now what? what happens next? you know? and something about that uh, letting go yeah was the first time in my life that I truly just you know like in, in a water park you have that bit where you're in a water slide and you let go and then you just fucking fall down carries you down yeah so I think that was the first time in my life where I truly felt like 
Okay, I'm going to let go and see where the water in the, in the slide takes me. I mean, uh, yeah, you, as far as I know, you've got a car over there. I got a car. You had sex with, I like, a hooker know. or something, right? But you didn't pay her or something. Like, it was a friend. I, had, I traveled with... Uh, I traveled for two months with a girl who previously worked as a hooker. And what happened? Like, what? And, like, uh, and yeah, we traveled together. We had... Uh, we became friends. And yeah, we traveled together for a couple of months. But what, what was the change? When did you turn into the blanket guy with the beard? I think, um, I think they're both extremes. All these elements exist in me. Both like the yeah. orderly uh, Excel chart person mm -hmm. and the long beard, long hair, sleeping in parks blanket person. I just needed to release the other thing. Yeah. And, you know, once I realized that... Not realized, but there's things that you only experience once you feel them. Like, once you do them. And once I really... You know, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. So I slept in parks. And I slept out behind the church. Yeah. And I slept... I just have no... Um, no specific aim or direction apart from... What do I feel like doing now? In Australia, you slept in parks. I slept in parks a wow. lot. Wow. Yeah. Police didn't come and say, like, get the fuck out of here? Nah. The only incident I had was in Tasmania where I slept in a park with a couple of people I met there for mm -hmm. four nights. For a few nights. And the fourth morning, we got woken up by some dude, two dudes in the uniform who came and woke us up and told me, listen, mate, you're sleeping in a public park and you're not allowed to sleep here. <laughs> so when your friends wake up tell them that you can't sleep here tonight and then they gave me a sheet of paper one side of it had the law printed out which allows them to do yeah. that and the other side had a colored map of parks where we are allowed to sleep that's fucking crazy and that was after wow. three weeks in Australia and I just thought to myself Jesus fucking Christ this place is Incredible. It's nice. Because I'm breaking the law. Yeah. I'm breaking the law. I'm not allowed to sleep in this park. Yeah. And he comes and tells me that when my friends wake up, just to make sure that we sleep in one of these parks and not in this one. I think... And something about the whole experience of kind of... Before I left... For Australia, I was, I felt like something's wrong. I was unhappy and I didn't know why. Yeah. I was just unhappy, you know, something about the world didn't sit right. That's like the story of my life. <laughs> and I felt, I mean, uh, I'm unhappy and I don't know why. Yeah. But what I'm doing right now isn't working. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have this visa and I can either start the loop again yeah. Find a job, apartment, uh, or just go. And I felt it was the right time to go. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I want to do a deep inward journey because I was super cynical about everything all the time. And I felt really detached from my emotions and just really detached from myself and yeah. from the world in general. And I thought, I mean... I need a change and it's going to be very hard for me to make this change here. I want to explore inwards a bit. And I think the other side of the world would be a good platform for me to do this. For sure. it gives you a clean slate. It gives you whether you want to or not. My friends aren't there. They're not accessible. My family isn't there. They're not accessible. I have me. 
Do you think Israel would be a good place for this to happen for someone who doesn't have friends or family here? Like if a tourist from Australia came to Israel, do you think they could have like a good inward journey here? I think it's very different. I think Israel is way smaller and way more intense. Yeah. Um, and Australia kind of taught me how to, how to relax and how to let go and how to lose myself just in space and within myself in a way... Because when you drive for three hours and there's fuck all, yeah. and you know there's fuck all for the next couple of hours as well, it's different to what you can experience here. I think Israel can offer you an inward journey as well, but a different one. And I think it's super individual as well. Australia was the right place at the right time for me. Like, you know, a lot of religious people flock here. I used to work in a hostel in Tavaria. And I guess there's like a lot of fucking like Christians and like Jewish people having their inward journey over there. Which I thought was shitty. <laughs> I thought that was just like a I shitty place though, for an inward journey. Israel is stunning. Yeah, it and is. Definitely some like... parts. You forget about it when you look out my window and you see a car wash and like a, a druggie walk by. Yeah, with you know, South on. Tel Aviv isn't the most... <laughs> stunning place. Yeah. yeah. But we have, I mean, it's on a stunning... It definitely we have. In the three-hour drive, you can get from like mountains with forests to, to a this. desert... Oh, yeah. And pass this on the way. Yeah. Three hours drive. It's incredible. In one hour, I could probably get to... I could go to Jerusalem from like syringe guy by the car wash to like fucking Jerusalem. Yeah. Old city or some shit. And I mean, so here's the thing. I think Israel energy wise as well has a lot in a small space. Yeah. And I think just the energies in Australia are mellower and way more spread out. Also, very capitalist place, though, right? Yes, but I mean, yeah, it's super capitalist, but that's, um, I felt it sometimes. But I don't know, I just kind of, the, the, the drifting around without knowing anything was a new and beautiful experience for me. Yeah. And it kind of got me to a place where I felt that I needed to, I wanted to be in a place where everything, just to question the things I know. Because mm-hmm. if something isn't working and I'm not happy, it means that something isn't right. Yeah. And the way I conduct my life right now is according to the things I know. I can't do it differently. So it's like there's a puzzle and one of the pieces isn't connected. But I didn't know which piece it was. So I wanted to go to a place where I can question my way of life openly. Where I can turn the exclamation marks and periods into question marks. And do it systematically in a way that wouldn't make me feel like I'm lost in space completely. Yeah. I mean, when you came back here from, like, Mallow, Australia, where everybody's really nice, did you fucking, like, how did you feel? Like, I remember you feeling actually pretty good. Like, I remember the... When I came back? Like, I remember me, you, and Yuval got, like, hummus maybe, like, a week after you came back. When or you came com- back from Australia? Yeah. I was in terrible state, man. Really? I was in a terrible, terrible state. You weren't happy to be here at all, to like see like the, was, the culture, the people, and all that stuff? I was happy to be back, but I was in a terrible state. It was a weird mix, because first of all, I have to say that 
Australia for me, well, I was there for 10 and a half months. Yeah. So for me overall, it was a mellow and spiritual experience that taught me that I can live my life differently. I can listen to my emotions. I can lead myself um, intuitively and do and live my life that way. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be anywhere. Yeah. But Australia also has a lot of stress and a lot of shit and a lot of anger. And it's just a place like any place with people like any people. Where does the Australian anger come from? Day to day life. Where does your anger come from? It's all the same shit, man. Yeah. I mean, we're all people living in this world. They also have a job and they also have to pay bills. Yeah. They also have a, a girl who doesn't answer their calls, and they also have a shitty friend who fucks them. It's all, I mean... Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like when I look at Australia, as from an American perspective, I'm from someone who's lived in Israel for a long time. Like, I could see why Americans are angry, and I could see why Israelis are angry. But I feel like Australia is like this fun fucking place where everything's kind of like, everything just kind of works out, you know? Like the you system. have to understand that within that, it's still normal people living normal lives. Yeah. The normal day-to-day shit. And I mean, I spent a week in Sydney with people I knew from middle school and they weren't happy because they lived in the city and they lived the city life with rent and a boyfriend they don't like and, and all that. And I mean, they still had all this shit going on. And they, it's they were, not some ideal paradise. Were they Chinese? Because yeah. you, you went to school in China, right? Yeah. Middle school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them was half Chinese, half Australian. And the girl I met was completely Australian. Ah. Um, That's cool that you've kept in touch with middle school people. I didn't keep in touch with them since then. But once I knew I'm coming to Australia, I knew they lived there and I contacted him. How do you find them? Did you have them? You had... No. Okay. All right. You're, how old are you? You're not much younger than me. No, 26. Did you have, how did you keep in touch all this time though? Like I opened Facebook, I came back to Israel in 2006. Yeah. I opened Facebook ah, okay. in 2008. All right. So Because people from, that was back when I was still in touch with a lot of friends from back then. Mm-hmm. And they told me, uh, uh, an English friend from there told me you should open, open Facebook. It's this new thing and we can keep in touch. Ah, that's really. cool. So that's what I did, and it worked. But, you know, as time passes on, your lives just go in different directions. Yeah, for sure. But when I knew I'm going to Australia, I got in touch with him, and then I went to Sydney, and I spent a week in his house. And then I spent... Uh, and then while I was there, he told me that this girl was also in Sydney, so we met up. Wow. It was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, it's not like it's some uh, mellow paradise, but there def- there is definitely something more relaxed about the way they conduct them, themselves. They have that yeah. British politeness, right? Like they kind have of. that British politeness and that Aussie fuck-itness. Yeah, which is, it's a good mix, if you ask me. It's a good mix, and I mean, you can't, I can't really explain the Aussie mindset and culture, but there's... One, I, I feel like language is something that really describes the culture. Yeah. And Australian is one of the most used phrases, like, when you need something from someone, or one of the most constantly used things in many scenarios is, no worries, mate. That's one That's of the such things a nice say. And no worries at all. Yeah. It also works. And I mean, when something is so deeply ingrained in a society, then there were so many instances there where, you know, you're stressed about something, or you're worried, or you ask a question, and someone just says, no worries, mate. And you know they mean it. And you know their whole demeanor is... 
No worries, babe. But it doesn't turn into like that phrase, like "How are you doing?" When you sometimes like it doesn't turn like you know in America, everyone's like "How are you?" but nobody really gives a fuck about how exactly. you are. So uh, don't worry, mate. Doesn't come. It doesn't turn into this eventually. Like it oh, you, you killed your girlfriend. Don't worry, mate. You, you have to go to jail though. Come on. It's not you know? that you know. It's not that like uh, extreme. Yeah. But I mean, if you kill your girlfriend, then there are worries. Yeah. Worry, mate. Yeah. Oh, I can't. The fuck. Oh, you killed the fucking bitch! Yeah, nah, yeah, nah. But the essence of it, I mean, the essence of it remains. Yeah. Because you know when an Aussie tells you no worries, even if he feels obligated to say it and he doesn't truly mean it, the essence of the phrase is ingrained in their society and their whole approach to life. Yeah. So, a, a not so meaningful no worries made from an Australian still carries more weight um, I'm not sure how I was going to finish that sentence but I think you get the gist of I what get I'm it. saying um, so there's something about my experience there which really allowed me to kind of let go and rejudge things and I mean I don't know I went to a hostel there and I spent some time in the house and we were just jamming and going to the beach every night and walking around and that was the first time I did acid, and everything just kind of... How's your chip, by the way? Incredible. Wow, not fearful incredible. at all? Not scary? No, because I had a few times where I felt bad thoughts creeping up. Yeah. And just, you know, you, I, I felt them. It was the way that um, feelings and emotions were so concrete, you yeah. know, I just felt them so vividly. And I felt the bad feeling kind of creeping up. And I just looked at it and told it, no, no. Wow. And it just went away. That's amazing. And it was incredible. And I remember when the sun started setting, I thought to myself, oh, it's going to be dark soon. And not, not like in a panicky way. Yeah. In uh, a really ponderous way. It's going to be dark soon. And then there's not going to be any light. And then what? <laughs> and what are we going to do? The sun is going to go yeah. and everything is going to be dark. What are we going to do? And then the sun set and everything became dark. And it was fine. <laughs> everything was fine. Everything just kept on happening. Can I ask you a question now? Yeah. How was your trip? Like, when I had, I did acid three times, all with Peleg and Gal. Okay, I think like, yeah, all with... And, um, I never really saw anything. There was no illusion. It was just crazy thoughts. That's all um, it was. Like, my, my thoughts were fucked up. Trip, I was really in my own dimension, and I felt like... I felt like all the things we deal with normally in our day-to-day -day lives, like, it's all... that There's this layer of bullshit. Yeah. And down under it, there's this deeper essence that yeah. moves everything. Just this deeper layer of... Um, this essence of emotion and energy that controls everything, all the time. And I felt like there's a straight connection between my core and everything in that level around me. And it was incredible, because I looked at trees and birds and the sea, and I, I felt connected. Wow. I, I felt connected to everything. And I walked along the beach, and the waves, there were small waves breaking on the beach. And I felt the vibrations of the bass from the sea wow. within me. 
and all the people that I saw as well, I felt like I'm seeing into their core. Like there's this body that got dressed onto this essential essence that's the inside of the person. And on top of it, you have the body and the, the, the characters they've developed and their persona and all, you know, all the stuff would pile up. But within that, there's like raw feeling and emotion. And you didn't get overwhelmed by that. No, it was incredible. Like I remember I was on acid. I looked at an apartment building in Northern Tel Aviv and I just thought everyone in there is having their own thoughts and emotions. And this is fucking insane. Like it's just overwhelming that I looked up at the stars. I thought like all those stars could possibly be planets full of people, full of thoughts and emotions in the world. I felt like I was just being like overwhelmed by everything. So it wasn't exactly like that for me. Yeah. It was more centered. It was kind of like if I saw a person, I felt... I kind of felt like I suddenly have a ray of light that illuminates the things I'm in direct interaction with. Wow. And me. So, like, I didn't... I walked around and I was aware that all the people around me are their own people, but it didn't overwhelm me because I'd look at one person and feel like I'm seeing into his core essence, and but I didn't see all the people I... It was like I was with my current experience, you know? Yeah. I was really in the moment. Wow. I was really in the moment. And that was an incredible feeling because I felt so attached to myself and to the world. <coughs> and um, I felt like a hysterical madness. I felt... I just felt... <laughs> like, wow. I felt a super... I felt super emotional and super connected to my, my feelings and my emotions in a very filling and calming manner, you know? Do you think Australia had anything to do with that? For sure, for sure. Like, I was terrified to take acid in Israel. Like, I did it in fucking center Tel Aviv at no night. No fucking way. I, I had the option to. Yeah. And uh, Tomel offered me to take it. He had a bad days. trip. Did, did, did you oh, hear about the Holocaust Day trip? Yeah, I was there. Wow, that was fucked up. I heard That's this guy was on it for like three days on this ship. Yeah, he had a really bad trip. Wow. And something about taking acid with uh, in Tel Aviv, in this setting, <coughs> in my current mindset, I knew that I'm not in a place yeah. where I can deal with this shit right now. And it terrified me. And when I took acid in Australia, I had the acid with me for a while. Yeah. And the, when I decided to take it, I still remember I woke up in the morning and my whole, my whole essence, my whole feeling was the world is amazing, I'm happy, and I can deal with anything right now. Wow. And I want to drop acid because I want to see where it can take me. How do you feel the next day? Just like something opened up. Really? Like... I discovered new colors, you know, like I saw the world in a certain shape until then and suddenly someone showed me like, hey, did you look at it from this direction? It's like, oh my God, that's beautiful. Have you ever seen that picture from World War One about that soldier kind of sitting down, laughing, smiling, like and his eyes look all fucked up. He's like in a trench in like no. France. Basically, that's how I felt the day after. Like, I looked at my face in the mirror. It was all red. And it was like I went to war. Wow. <laughs> and I felt, like, very irritable. Like, extremely. I was super overwhelmed. I wow. had... I needed to, like... Wow. I needed my space. But the place I was in 
was so comforting and incredible. I, it was really, I mean, I had a, a very good experience. I, I was with good people in a good place. It was like this this campsite in the jungle that was inside a hostel yeah. with like a small lake and just incredible people. And we'd sit in this place and just jam all night. So you think I should definitely try it again in a better place? I think that there's a reason they say set and setting are important. Yeah. And I was in a beautiful place with beautiful people in the sun, with access to nature and the beach, and very calm and content yeah. myself. And I'd never do acid if I didn't feel as content as that. I was a Pelagin gal. I think they're pretty like good people to they do drugs are. with. They are, but the question is, where were you? I feel like I was having a good time at that point in my life. Like, I felt I was more mentally healthy than I am now. Like, I didn't give a fuck about nothing. I was just, like, you know, smoking lots of weed. I think I smoked a joint before doing acid, and that was a bad problem. That was, was a big deal. sober. I wanted to feel yeah. the acid. And I took half a tab as well. Ah, uh, That's the most I The took. first time I did half, and the second time I did one, then the third time, which was really bad... It was in the park, the Harakon Park. Mm-hmm. I, I like took like, I think I took one and a half, and then I smoked a joint. And this was a bad fucking time. Don't worry about breaking lighter. It doesn't matter. Did. It's fine. I have like another one somewhere around here. Um, yeah, taking. I mean, taking acid in Tel Aviv sounds cool. I mean, I think it's something I want to try out. Yeah, I went to Yafo, you know, and it was at night, so we took it like at midnight. Got home like at like. Eight in the morning and went straight to bed. That's not the Holocaust day, right? I didn't do acid on the Holocaust day. I was just there when they were on it, and it was kind of um, fucking crazy. Like, yeah, it was a horrible idea. Like, wow, Tomer, he looked in trouble, you know? Tomer was in trouble. Yeah. Tomer was. In trouble. Wow. I'm not sure he wants to talk about it though. But no. Don't worry, I have like sixty listeners. Nobody, and like majority of them are not in Israel. Yeah, but you know, it's still talking about someone and it goes out into the internet. True. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about it. Anyway. And Tomer is my friend. He's a good guy. He's yeah, a good he guy. Um, did it last? Like this feeling, this thing that you got in Australia? Because I had an experience. I lived on a hippie commune in the south in Israel. True. For like a month almost. And, uh, you know, we had, like, re- we had, like, feeling circles where we, like, sit in the morning and express ourselves and we meditate and we do, like, yoga. And, like, you know, it was a great time for me. Like, I felt so free and so open, you know? Yeah. And when I came back to Tel Aviv, I was like, all right, like, I'm going to keep this going in my mind. I'm going to still be open. I'm going to still be happy and free. And within a week, it was like it all just slipped right out of me. And I was, like, That's back to my thing. old self, you know? The... The inside has to reflect the outside. Yeah. And the outside has to reflect the inside. And I think that's part of why I couldn't go back to Tel Aviv when I came here. Why I just... It didn't feel right for me. Because... um, First of all, when I took acid, it was part of... it, It was part of a process I was going... Yeah, with myself, it yeah. was it was another step on the way. It mm-hmm. was part of a transition I was I was I was going through. Um, so because the acid was my trip was part of the way I was walking down. 
it let me uh, it let me digest it and keep on walking in that path. Yeah. But like after I took the acid, I remember I went to Sydney a couple of weeks after, and it was super hard for me. I couldn't find myself there. I couldn't deal with it. Uh -huh. Suddenly, I was in this massive city with everyone just. Everything was so fast-paced and everyone was always on the way to school. You know, big city, yeah. big city stuff. And it was really hard for me to deal with it because I didn't understand how people do it. And then I continued to Melbourne and I lived in Melbourne for four months. So it was hard for me because, um, yeah, I felt like the acid experience, it remained, but a lot of it kind of drifted away. And then before I left Australia, I spent three months traveling again. And then I, um, I traveled and, and I re-experienced the whole not knowing what you're doing thing. Yeah. And I took some more acid. And then I came back to Israel and going back to the question from ages ago, um, I came back to Israel the day before I came back. I had a really bad panic attack. Mm -hmm. Um and then I came back and I just, I couldn't find myself. It was, it was frightening. It's, it's like you take like a bunch of steps back on your emotional growth and your spiritual growth when you come into a big city. Like really, I think by you going to Mitzvah Ramon in the kibbutz, you were like continuing your journey. Exactly. And when I came here, it's like I kind of just like joined the masses, joined the rat race, went into like a company, started working. It's, it's like, also... it's like maybe like on a financial level, I'm doing okay for myself. But like, like... Um, like I'm not like spiritually growing as much and when I do it doesn't amount to much you know exactly because I mean if I'm in the midst of something yeah if I'm in the middle of a process and I'm undergoing changes within myself I can't go back to the same place I was before I started because then it's just going to truncate everything yeah it's not it's not going to last and I knew in Australia I felt for the first time what it's like to live in a small place in the middle of nowhere not for long. I'd spent like three weeks in this village and a month in this town. And I loved it. Yeah. And I came back to Israel and just, I was depressed. I was really depressed. I couldn't find myself. And I thought, all right, the only thing I did so far job-wise that didn't feel like work and really made me truly happy was working with kids. Mm -hmm. So I want to work with kids. Yeah. And I want to do it outside of the city I don't want to live in the city yeah so I think I'll live in the kibbutz that's where I can get the whole package I can live there I can work with kids for the, for the kibbutz and just kind of be like in this closed settlement and the the Arava just kind of popped up I didn't plan to go there but things just happened would you say it like helped you with your growth with your spirituality for sure I loved it there it was amazing it was it was both all the places I've been to were the right place at the right time. Yeah. And that was definitely part of it because I think moving there helped me maintain... And that's also the desert, right? Like that's like Elat down there somewhere. Yeah. It's half an hour from Elat. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, moving there definitely helped me like maintain that thing I was going through. Even with like the drama with the girls and all this shit. It was part of it, you know, because yeah. I fell in love there. Yeah. Truly. I truly loved this girl. The hippie one, right? The one I used to live at the old apartment with you bought. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, we just had this thing happening. Oh, uh, okay. Ah, this other girl you were telling me about. Yeah. And it's something that 
never happened to me before mm-hmm. to to really fall in love with someone and yeah. to know it like to know to know that I'm in love with this girl and feel it in every cell in my body and know that that this is something true and real and strong yeah and let it happen and let it happen and tell her how I feel and tell myself it's things I've never done before in my life yeah just to know to, I love this girl and to tell her listen this is how I feel about you um, and the kids as well I, I love these kids I love them they were my life there and just to have so much emotion in my day-to-day life that was what I was striving for sounds nice I man I want I want my life to be emotion-led I want yeah. my feelings and my emotions to be the most dominant thing in my day-to-day life because that's what we've got at the end the more I feel the happier I am yeah that's what matters you know exactly it, it, yeah my bank account it, all the other shit is just background noises. The only things that we know we have and that we feel all the time are our feelings and our emotions. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think I think that's what Australia gave me. Just, I mean... But you were always kind of led by your, like... Like, I always feel like you were kind of, like, emotional. Like, you were always, like... Like, you were never, like, just a regular person out here, you know? Like, even when you were in the army, like, you know? Like, you didn't, like, obey all your commands when you, like, went to, like... Uh, like you were like a were, didn't you were like council soldiers who did bad shit or something? No, I was a commander in commander's course at the end of my service, and just like a regular commander in the beginning. Yeah. And yeah, it was really hard for me because I had to. Uh, in my role, I represented the system I didn't believe in. So yeah, I had a lot of. Uh, I went to the army knowing that I'm going to be an officer. Yeah. It's something that broke on the way. Um. Because I understood while doing it, while being a commander, that I'm part of a system I don't believe in. Yeah. And yeah, I had a lot of scenarios where I either did things I didn't want to do and I did them very half-assed or where I just didn't do things. And like you never went to like the prison or anything like that? No, because I figured out a way to do it without, you know, there's a way. I, mean, I don't want to carry a flag saying fuck you and walk around with it. Yeah. But I know that if I get a command, I can word it in a certain way and pass it on to my soldiers in a way that either they won't obey it or they will obey it in a way that's different to the meaning but won't hurt anyone. Like, what did you do? Like, give me an example. Entertain the people. <laughs> I have like one specific example that was uh, just an odd one out and not part of my day-to-day routines. Yeah. Because the day-to-day routines were, you know, like going on Siwim, uh, like just driving along the border fence and making sure everything's fine and stuff like that. And um, I just, a lot of times I was a cunt as well, but I tried to, to be flexible with my soldiers yeah and I remember we were in a lot we were in a lot for three months and they put us in this uh, barrier in the entrance to a lot which thankfully doesn't exist nowadays mm-hmm. there's two entry roads to a lot there's 90 yeah and there's 12 that's like along the mountains mm-hmm. on the Egyptian border and on road 12 there used to be this uh, barrier in the entrance to a lot and that's where all the refugees come through right yeah they used to yeah um 
and we were there for a week. I was the commander. I was there with like five soldiers, mm -hmm. and I got the orders from the officer uh, who like uh, dropped us there and gave me all the orders how to maintain the barrier. And he told me, um, if any minority comes through, which means like an an Eritrean refugee guy, no Arabs. Ah, okay. Arabs. Uh, if any minority comes through, you have to detain them until you get permission from the command center to let them through. How long could that detainment be? We have the legal authority to detain them for up to three or four hours in the army. Wow, yeah. shit. And he told me... And not any, just anybody. That's like any, a guy from Yafo or something. Any minority who comes through, and then I tried to push him. What do you mean minority? He said, you know, anyone who seems a threat. And I said, no, I don't know. Can you please tell me expl explicitly what you mean? And then he got a bit angry and said, Arabs, any Arabs who comes. Okay. Uh, you know, any, any minority, anyone, anyone who's threatening. Because yeah. Arabs, minority, and threatening are the same thing. Mm -hmm. And he I, I, like, tried to ask to figure out my wiggle room. He said, any Arab, any Arab, no yeah. room for judgment. And I mean, I said, fuck that. And the second we left, I told my soldiers, you're not detaining all Arabs. Yeah. You're detaining anyone who you... I trust your judgment. If you don't trust your own judgment, call me and mm -hmm. I'll make the call. Anyone who you deem threatening or worthy of, of questioning, detain them. Yeah. Like, I don't give a shit what their ethnicity is. Yeah. And some soldiers would play with it. Some of them, I had two soldiers who would detain all the Arabs just for the heck of it, you know, because they could. And that's a lot of, you know, when you're in, when you're in the army situation, you're getting mixed a lot with like, it's not like you're you're just with people who are somewhat like you. You're getting mixed with like far like right motherfuckers, like left wing motherfuckers, like all these people, like some racist motherfuckers. It's not like you're just being around like level-headed people all the time, right? That's the thing. Everyone's been conditioned so hard, you know. People, mm, like, yeah, you get to meet a lot of people from very different backgrounds to yours. Yeah. And I think in the beginning, for a lot of my service, it started like breaking down towards the end, not mm -hmm. completely, but like mellowing out. I really stick labels on people, and that was it. Yeah. He's racist. He's uh, he treats women poorly. Um, you know, like he's uh, he's uh, yeah, he's right wing and all that shit. And then, like the more time progresses, the more you see these people in a different light, and you realize that. There's, first of all, they're sticking the exact same labels on you, but from the other side. Yeah, they're like left-wing pussy motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then you realize that there's so much more to it. Yeah. And there's such a depth to all these people. And these labels are just, you know, it's what we've been trained to use. It's true. But they mean fuck all. Yeah. They mean fuck all. And I mean, I was like the, the, the left-wing... Uh, guy that many people would I was like the go to default left wing guy for the for a lot of the right wing people to poke fun at shit and, and uh, over here it's like it, over here you're like a minority then right like in Israel like I hear left wing people get a lot of shit that's the thing I don't see myself as left wing nowadays because I think it's lost all meaning and and that's why you don't give a fuck about the elections today 
Kind of. I just think it's pointless. I think it's nothing's going to change. Yeah. None of them are talking about the things that I want to see change. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm kind of like... It, it might be... Uh, I mean, what do you want to see change with Israel? Right now, honestly, I'm in a place where I want to figure my own shit out. Yeah. I'm, I don't... I mean... I think I have so many issues within myself and so many question marks. And I mean, I have no fucking clue who I am or what I want to do with my life and what makes me happy. I'm starting to figure it out. I have more clue than I did a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I don't think I know nearly enough to go and say how to make this country good. No. So... I mean, I could definitely think of a few ideas of how it would be better. But I think it's... No one talks about... We all talk about this um, generic shit that's on the surface. But none of those things are the real issues. Because there's certain things that people here feel... And I think they're a bit constant. Like, there's a lot of stress in this country. Yeah, of There's course. a lot of repressed anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that these are issues that I wish would be more open. And I wish would be a bigger part of the daily conversation. And just, I mean, I think more emotional openness and togetherness would make things better. I mean, over shit like... Like, you could even see it when it comes to things like the coronavirus, how stressed and frustrated people are with it when it hasn't even come here yet. Nice. You got both things in there, Michael. Good job. Yeah. Election on corona. Yeah. You did it. I did it. <laughs> you know, you can see how fucking stressed out they are. You know, over, like, I don't, I don't think people give a fuck in places like England. I think they're just like, whatever, you know? Here's cool. the thing. I'm not sure you're right. Because mm-hmm. people love news. Yeah. And the news loves stories. And that's the thing. It's kind of like a cycle. It's kind of like a cycle that keeps itself going because the news needs to have something to talk about and people want to have something to talk about. And talking about things that are of immediate emotional relevance to you is super difficult. It's really, really hard to do because then you need to be in touch with yourself at a certain level that you understand what you feel and you understand why. So, talking, motherfucker, <laughs> talking about um, BB or coronavirus or Venezuela or Donald Trump or. Um, stock prices you know yeah it's so much easier to talk about them than about the fact that you feel sad today yeah or of course. you feel happy because of that thing you achieve i don't know just and plus nobody gives a fuck if you're feeling sad really like when it comes down to it at the end of the day unless they're your really close friends like your coworkers at work don't give a fuck you know it depends I've found a lot of times that when you're open about your emotions and your true experiences, then it does one of two things. It either makes people shy away. Yeah. Or it makes people open up too. 
I think majority are going to shy away. The majority are going to shy away. Yeah. But there are those people, and it's a big number of people, that love the opportunity to uh, just to open up, just to be real for a moment. Yeah. And um, it's more people than we think. And I think that's more important. I don't know. For sure it's more important. For sure. It's more important than, like, you know, the news, coronavirus, BB, fucking whatever the fuck. Yeah, I mean, fuck that shit. Really, I'm in a place in my life right now where I don't care. It's a good place to be, quite frankly. Really, I don't care. And, I mean, when I lived in the kibbutz as well, I had no idea what's going on. And uh, the girl I had a thing for there... She used to, she, she didn't like it, she didn't get it. She told me a lot of times, you're in a bubble and you can't ignore all those things. And she'd get like uh, Ynet notifications on her phone. Oh. And I, I asked her like, why can't, I mean, my life right now is waking up in the morning, going to be with the kids, sitting in front of a sunset, like next to my home, maybe going to the pub, going to the pool. That's my life. That's human nature. That's it, a, that, that is my actual life. Like your actual life now. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's not human nature to, get, to watch the news every day, to give a fuck about something that's so far away from yourself, to like be crying over something that's continents away. I think when it comes down to it at the end of the day, we're supposed to really only give a fuck about our friends, our family, the life we have right in front of us, you know? True. Like it's not really it's natural. Dead. To that's really give that much of a fuck. Yeah. That's why people are so miserable these days. Because they're, they're giving so much shits about all these things that are so besides themselves. And they're putting real energy into this, you know? Yeah. Stupid shit on Instagram, fucking Facebook. Hashtags. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't fucking matter, you know? It shouldn't matter. I guess it does now, you know? It's scary because you have to realize this. When you separate yourself from all that shit, you're really like, yeah... You're, you're, this is all you've got. Yeah. They can't see the hand gestures. But there's going to be a lot of fucking people that just like, they're going to like stand back and take a, you know, cut themselves off a little because they won't feel like a really a relation to you, you know? And it's like, uh, you kind of need to like, especially if you're living in a big city, I think like in Mitzvah Ramon in the desert, I think you're cool. But if you live in a big city anywhere in the world, it's like, this is how people relate to each other in a way through this bullshit, this stupid shit. You go to a football match and your team scores and everyone says, yeah, and you feel a real emotional connection yeah. to the people around you. And it means nothing. And you go to a demonstration and you're all like, fuck baby. Yeah. And there's thousands of people around you who also are like, yeah, fuck baby. And you're all together. You're all in this together. Yeah. But you're not really together. You know, nobody in that crowd really gives a fuck. You're all coming together for like a common hate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For, uh... A common cause, but I don't see how I can make peace with anything or with yeah. anyone, or how I can spread happiness if I'm not happy. Nah, I get and it. And I mean... And happiness isn't going to come from the world around you. Even if there's like peace in the whole fucking country, you know, everybody's uh, like, uh, you know, peace in the fucking world, everyone's cool with each other, you could still be a very miserable person. Sure. Yeah, it's not how. Oh God, this is one of the most hippie things I'm ever going to say. Say it. How can we have peace in this country when people aren't at peace with themselves? Exactly, you know? it's true. Because it's not. It's it's a cycle. Yeah. And like, 
you're filling that emotional void by like getting into all these fucking causes and oh let's protect the cats and all this stupid bullshit it's bullshit yeah I, I mean that's kind of what I've been doing these past few years I want to do me yeah for a bit. I want to do me and I envied you ever since you came back from Australia because I want to do this I want to disappear what's stopping I want to go like <laughs> like trying to like um, sustain like a stable existence in the world you know but and you're like, not managing to do it I don't think I'm not not managing. I'm just not happy with it. Exactly. Yeah. So how can you be what stableness for me is is emotional stableness as well. Yeah. It requires happiness. It requires you to be happy and content at some level. Of course not all the time. I mean it it's not like my, my here's the thing, these past few months when I was sad, I was truly sad and I felt it. These past like, few months like in Mitzvah Ramon? I wasn't constantly sad, but yeah. you know, because it's life, it's ups and downs all the time. Yeah. So when I have a bout of sadness, I'm sad. It's there. That's natural. It's me. I feel it. Yeah. I don't push it away. I can sit. Sometimes I do, but I want to feel, even if it's the bad stuff, I just want to feel it. You're supposed to. That's life. Yeah. It's not so, supposed to be happy. It's not supposed to be a consistent emotion of happiness. You're supposed to be miserable sometimes. Ooh, I want to call my brother. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, that wasn't part of the... That, that wasn't part of the problem. I could edit it out. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's kind of like my experience in the kibbutz, you know? Cause yeah. I was having a bad time. I came to Israel. I couldn't find myself. I walked in Jerusalem. I slept in a hostel in Haifa. Uh, I walked around Jerusalem this one day and just sat on the bench in the park and started crying my life out. Really? And it was amazing because so much feeling was spilling out. Yeah. So I was crying, but I was also super happy that I'm crying, you know? It was kind of like this duality that was happening. Um, and in the kibbutz, you know, I spoke with my cousin and remember Tel Aviv, like after I left, um, uh, I spoke to my cousin, I was supposed to fly to Europe and I spoke to her before and she told me, listen, I mean, you know yourself and there's a reason you're so stressed now because this isn't right for you. What's happening. Yeah. And the kibbutz, something about that simplicity just worked and everything was so simple that you didn't keep on looking for excitement because in that simple nothingness you had everything you needed and it was true I had everything I needed and the knowledge that um, I spend the day just hopefully not hopefully I knew I knew that my existence there is making life better for those 15 kids uh, yeah I knew it that it's your chance to influence someone you know they could easily they could easily have like a teacher that would be like a piece of shit yeah that would teach them all the Zionist bullshit all the you know racial things just who didn't I mean I really loved them I yeah. really saw them and I really cared for them and that's something that nothing can replace I think yeah when your heart is really invested in something then you know it, and it's stronger than anything else. And I think that's what Australia showed me, because, I mean, 
it was it was nice to hear you say that I was always kind of different in that way. Yeah, like you never appeared like I say this about all my friends though. Like you, Gal, you Ball. Yeah, like you guys aren't really typical people. No, like not. like I don't like when I go to like the fucking shook over there and I see like like you know the typical people. <laughs> but no one is a typical person. That's the thing. Well, people who just give in to all the bullshit, they're told to believe in something and they just like fall right into it and accept it. It's like there, a truth. But there's so many different lights to that, Michael. There's so many different ways and lights and, and forms of that. And I walk around the shook and I walk around the city. I know fuck all about any of these people. I know nothing. Yeah. And each one of them is a self-contained world with so many stories and shit they've gone. I know nothing. Yeah. I don't know what brought them to the point they're in now, and I don't know what the point they're at now is. So, just, I feel like in the kibbutz, I was able to see something of the person behind the figure. Yeah. And especially with kids, you know. Of course, they're pure. Kids they're are, not fucked by the world yet. Kids are pure and kids are out there. Yeah. And something about that was um, just really fun. Yeah. You know, you you get to see them before the world gets their hands on them, before they're indoctrinated into the fucking army. And there's two ways to deal with that. Yeah. And a lot of adults I've seen that work with kids, yeah. they try to turn the kids into adults. Yeah, they're molding them for the future. Exactly. You, know? you need to be this and you need to know that. And when I worked with kids, the thing that was incredible for me is that I didn't feel like I was adulting them. I felt like they were childing me. Yeah. And that was what I was looking for because we think we know all this stuff, but we know nothing. No. We know nothing. We know the things we've been telling ourselves that we know and helped us reach this point. Yeah. But they're not truer than anything else. And kids are so pure that when you're with them, I mean, you say something and then they ask you why. And if you truly think about it for a second, then you realize that, hey, you're right. There's no... There's no reason. It doesn't have to be this It's way. because, you know what? We're like... I don't want to say I am particularly or you, but for the most part, adults, we're like trained dogs. And a kid is like untrained and just living exactly. by their natural, you know, we're, by what they're supposed to be, you know? We're so tame. Yeah. Like, we've been trained by adults, by our parents to be a certain way. And that's fucked up, man. And suddenly, you know, the kids in the kibbutz, they ask all these questions and they say these things. And then... Yeah. A lot of times they gave them just honest answers. You know, I don't yeah. know. Or How many it, people aren't going to give them honest answers? How many people are going to try to mold them? I worked with. Yeah. Told me, listen, you're teaching them anarchy. You're training them to chaos. Yeah. It's like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. You know? It's they don't have up. to listen to me. Yeah. Nothing I say is right. It might be right, but nothing I say... There's not like this truth that the things I say are the truth. Yeah. If what I say is relevant or right for them... Then they just have to be able to look at something and take like a broad general view of it and make their own mind up. Question you know? everything. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, uh, it's upsetting. Yeah, make up your own mind. And, like, uh, all these shits out here, the fearful people, the people who aren't open-minded, they're just like fucking trained dogs, man. Like, they're trained by their parents. Their parents are trained by someone. They're trained by the parents, the government, the people around them. 
It's fucked up. Ever since I was a kid, Iran don't do this, Iran don't do that, Iran, what will people think if you say that? And just, you know, we, we've been trying to constantly think about how other people might react to the things we do. And so we take our true self and push it so far down. Yeah. And it just, it never comes out. And I felt with kids, the true self is a lot closer to the surface. So let's my true self come out as well. I mean, what do you think made you the way you are, though? Do you think it, were your parents really good? Was it your growing up my in China? My parents were really good. I grew up in so many different environments. My yeah. school in China was super significant. Yeah. Because um, it was incredible. And it really let you be. Let me be. Yeah. Um, just a combination of a lot of factors. My parents did a good job. My grandparents did a good job. My brothers were good for me. I, are your parents like like basically like you? Like they don't buy the bullshit? Like they see things for what it is? Nah, nah. I'm way more extreme in them in that regard. But mm. they also have a healthy level of skepticism. Ah, that's good. Um, and a healthy level of doing things their own way. I, I took it much further than them, which was difficult for them to deal with. Uh, still is a lot of the times. Yeah. That's good. I definitely got the essence of it from them. And, you know, from moving around so much and yeah. high school, and that from a young age, everything was very uh, liquid. What do you mean liquid? Liqu everything was constantly transforming. That's good. Everything was changeable all the time. So I understood labels are just that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Things can change. Things are, your reality is up to you. I think my dad did a good job of teaching me, man. He was like an open-minded guy. He used to take us to like, he, he made us like racially diverse. Like, like, you know, he married my, my Jewish white mom. <laughs> he would take, he had like a bunch of black friends. He'd take us to the Universal Soul Circus, a black only circus. He took us to a gay pride parade when we were like young, like nine. Like basically he was like super open and about exploring different cultures and like in, in states, of course. Which I think a lot of people don't get that shit. Especially in like Mexican communities. I think they're just like, Mexicans are just seeing Mexicans. Chinese are just seeing Chinese. My daddy like opened up, he like, uh, you know, he's really explored the world, you know? It's amazing he did that. Yeah. It's so important as a kid to realize that, you know, the things you grow up with are important, but they're just as important as, as the things other people grow up with. And you're not special because you have a skin color and a flag. Wow. And everyone has that shit. For the, longest, for the longest time when I was a kid... Like, if there was a black person in class or a Chinese person, I wouldn't even see them as Chinese or black. It was just, like, another kid. That's incredible. Yeah. Because I... It wasn't until, like, being a teenager and, like, hearing other people freak out about this shit that it would, like, hit me. Like, ah, I guess they are different, you yeah. know? I didn't know that there's Ashkenazi and Mizrahi Jews until I was 13. I was not aware. There yeah. was no difference in my mind because it wasn't an issue. And suddenly I came back to Israel and I think around high school it hit me that you have Ashkenazi and Mizrahim because I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, do you think they're treated really differently here? Like, do yeah, you think they live separate lives? I don't want to open that because I want to go eat lunch with my brother. All right, man. It was good having you on. Thanks, man. See you, man. Bye, people. That is it. Bye, people.
town I must take it higher Don't care about losing your game Don't wanna be the prime Forget the messiah Cause you are the one It would save you from yourself My only desire Is to live, to laugh, to love I'm nothing in this race Is it outside or is it within? 